This is the Run Pod Option. I'm Marty. I'm Kyle. And I'm Jeff. And you can follow us on Twitter at Run Pod Option or email us runpodoption at gmail.com. We are so, so close to being done with our conference previews today. And done with football for the year. <laughs> and done with football for the year. Then we're just going to hang up the cleats uh, and just oh, and we'll see y'all in 2021. Uh, recruit When recruiting's done, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> so today we have our ACC preview. Last week we had Mark Givler on for the Big Ten. There's also the rest of our catalog that we've got that, that I highly suggest checking out in anticipation of a potential 2020 season coming ahead of us. One of the disclaimers I want to start with is we are going to assume here it is July 20th, so the ACC hasn't officially gone to a conference-only schedule, but when we speak about games and largely maybe what we're going to think for the conferences, it's going to be if ACC was only playing ACC. We're just going to assume that because that's, that's the only thing we can do at this point with so much in the air. And with them and the SEC pushing it so far in late July... So, Jeff and Kyle, are we ready to kick things off for the ACC preview and get into staff and coaching? You mean, are you ready to get get into the most uh, competitive league in the in the in the in the league in the country? Well, the fact that it took you uh, it was so hard. <laughs> yeah, to I, say I don't. That I don't is, believe is, it. <laughs> it's almost more on the nose. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was your conscience trying to stop you from saying it, and you just Seriously. fought right through it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want so there's only two head coaches that are new this year in the ACC. Jeff Halfley comes into Boston College and Mike Norvell with Florida State. So I want to knock out Jeff Halfley first just because I think there's not much as much to talk about there. Jeff, we spoke about Halfley in particular, I think with this hire, but we kind of talked about Ohio State's defense largely. And I remember specifically one of the things you said was their defense doesn't necessarily do anything crazy. Like it's not a a bonkers type system, right? It's schematically pretty vanilla. They just have five stars everywhere. Guess what you don't have at BC? Correct. <laughs> Four or five stars. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, like really, <laughs> you're really, you're really, I don't want to say scraping the barrel, but you're not picking from the top. You're not getting first choice or second or third, maybe. So Boston College's defense was awful last year. Do you think, Jeff, I'm just kind of asking you to predict here, they return 81% of production. So I think that benefits them. But when you have a coach that comes in, who's used to running vanilla, do you think that bodes well for kind of a shortened and less prepped season? Because I think it might. You think them running a vanilla scheme will help them with a shortened season? I Only only in that you lose springtime to install, right? So at worst, if all you have are the bones of last defense and you just want to make sure you're calling the right plays and you have the right things lined up for those plays or for that defense, I think that could benefit him versus him having to install 
a defense that he hasn't had to at Ohio State and having even more growing pains. Like, I think next year there's probably going to be a growing pain. But Mm -hmm. this first year, I think maybe we'll see less of it with the returning production plus the lack of prep. That's an interesting point you bring up because I kind of was thinking about it the other way when – and Kyle, you can probably speak to this – when Boston College was better – you know, four or five years ago, that's when Don Brown was there. And the reason why his defenses have been so good is because of how aggressive they are. I mean, they, they're, they blitz like crazy and, you know, are all about pressure. So I, I was thinking that they would try, they would need to mirror that approach. But I think he brought up a good point, Marty, is with a shortened, you know, time frame, you know, no non-conference games to play through, maybe just keeping it simple and trying to keep stuff in front of them like Ohio State did will help them, but it's going to rely on them being able to score, which is that going to happen? I don't believe that's going to happen. Also, (laughs) how good are they going to be at keeping stuff in front of them? Even in that first game against Syracuse, Syracuse has a tendency of trying to speed up the game, go super fast, throw the ball. Is that defense going to stop them? Well, and here's some numbers. Stop them enough. So last year, they ranked 26th in the country in average EPA per rush. So on defense, they were great against the run. And I think, in fact, they might have had – let me check here. I think they had the most negative rushing plays last season. They were up there, yeah. Yeah, they were really good there. On the other side of that coin, they were 130th in the country in the EPA per pass that they allowed. Which is which is uh, the bad. worst, I believe. Um, yeah, just yeah, that is scraping the bottom. So there's a quote here too. I kind of want to keep in mind, and, and it's kind of why I had that that angle, Jeff, on why I think it might not be that big of a deal this year, and it'd be a bigger deal when he installs a more complicated defense. This is from Richardson of their linebacking core. Let me get his name, Max Richardson. He's a fifth year senior. He said, "Quote." I've been here for four years now, so you have one system and it just modifies a a little bit year to year. But a whole new defensive staff comes in and they put in a whole new system and it's a learning curve, but it's good. You're able to develop yourself personally, learn a new style of defense, maybe mold some of the tools that you were not molding before. If I had my feet in the sand, if I had to, to stick to my guns here, I think that they might be adding to what was maybe already a vanilla defense because they were giving up so much in the past. And I don't know if that just means that they're focused so much on the run. The numbers make it seem that way. I didn't see a whole lot of Boston College. And Kyle said that, you know, there wasn't an issue passing necessarily for Syracuse, right? Yeah, they're fine throwing the ball. But Syracuse wasn't particularly good running it either, so they didn't. Maybe didn't. Not have last a year. <laughs> that yeah, was, they had more to do with the offensive line. <laughs> yeah, maybe didn't really have a, maybe really didn't have a choice. So let's kick it over to Mike Norvell, the other head coaching hire, before we dig into some of the coordinators. Kyle, I think you are the best person to speak about maybe just what you think about the Mike Norvell hire. And in general, what message do you want to send to Florida State fans that you've already elaborated on when we went through the whole Taggart mess? Okay, yeah. Just give him time. (laughs) just give him time I think it's a good hire I think that he can do some great things there 
he's not going to do it right off the bat. Like I, I will go back to what I said last year when we were talking about Taggart. He's going to probably get fired. And that was the fact that the last year of Jimbo Fisher – they were what five and seven, six and six and seven, something like that. They weren't good. They've been like this for a couple of years. They're gonna have to build back up. It's not gonna automatically just happen. Now I think they have some nice pieces. I'd like to see if they actually have an offensive line. That would be nice. But you gotta give him time. You can't give him two years and say, "Oh, you haven't done anything." Part of me thinks. Both when the Miami job came open a few years back before Rick took it, and then this Florida State job, I feel like you have the very generic talking point of, listen, they have some dudes. They just need to have a coach that knows how to effectively use them. So even when Florida State or Miami felt like they were depleted past where where historically they should be, you could point to someone and be like, there's James Blackman. He's a freshman. He's got a lot of raw talent. They just need to get something out of him. Let a coach shape him. But that doesn't happen. I think the issue is now that you've got a team with dudes on it that don't know how to win because they're not in a culture of winning. they got to get back to that. This is their third coach in four years, head coach. Mm -hmm. And for the offense, this is their fourth offensive coordinator in four years. With no spring and no non-conference, to <laughs> yeah, it with, off of. yeah, jumping into <laughs> jumping into conference play. My, my my take from Norvell because I watched a lot of Memphis. If I had a message to any Florida State fans, were a what Kyle said, right? Give them time, but also there's not many coaches that are better at it than Mike Norvell in taking offensive players and putting them where they can succeed, no matter their size, no matter what their natural position is. What he did at Memphis was if you were a tight end that could happen to run, guess what? You're doing both. If you're a receiver that had a lot of lateral speed but not deep speed, he used you effectively. If you're a running back that could catch, he used you effectively. If you're a receiver that was better at catching but you could run, he used you effectively. So there's no doubt that there's going to be growing pains at Florida State. When you go from like winning the conference or rather winning the division three years in a row and then just falling off a cliff when Jimbo left – or right before Jimbo left, and then continuing downward, Down the cliff. there's going to be holes. But I can't imagine a better coach when maybe you're bringing in a four- or five-star guy that's raw that's going to get the most out of a player, at least offensively. So for that reason alone, I love the hire for Florida State. No, I, I totally agree. I think that he's a perfect person for that job. I just really hate... <laughs> the brain trust down there at Florida State that they need they need immediate results and if they don't get it then they throw a shit fit and ask for somebody to get removed automatically. There's, su- there's such an organization that correct me if I'm wrong but their booster club <laughs> just stole the athletic director from Central Michigan to become the president at a booster club. Is that right? <laughs> I think that's right. Like that's wild. Like they, they obviously have a very, very high opinion of themselves. And Norvell can get him there. I think Norvell, man, in like in four years, if Norvell's still there, the Norvell versus 
Dabo. Dabo, yes. Oh, man, it's going to be so much fun, those teams, especially it being every single year because they're in the same division. It's actually going to be a competition again. How much do you wish that uh, Norvell had Cam Akers? Or how much do you think he wishes he had Cam Akers? Cam Akers would have been... So, I mean, he was already a, a threat on a bad team. Yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> what he could do with with his and Kenny Dillingham's offense. Yeah. On to Syracuse. Okay. They brought in an offensive coordinator, Stephen... Or, I'm sorry. Sterling Gilbert? <laughs> yeah, they brought in an offensive Steven coordinator. Stephen! Stephen uh, Garcia, the former quarterback at South Carolina. Uh, Sterling Gilbert. <laughs> Sterling Gilbert, longtime assistant and friend of Dav- uh, Davo. God dang it. <laughs> Dino, Dino Babers. It's difficult because it's a combination. Davo is short for Dino Babers. Babo. For Babo. <laughs> Babo Dinars. Uh... <laughs> I just want to bring this up to you, Kyle. I'm going to read a quote that's from an assistant coach in the ACC, and this was his opinion on the offense. And then you can speak about if you think maybe Gilbert can improve that or if you think it's just wrong. There's there's that too. Okay. All right, here we go. Quote, that system pressures the quarterback to be such a smart, good player. Then when the right talent isn't there, they automatically put themselves in trouble. What offensive coordinator Sterling Gilbert should be able to do is help DeVito read things a little bit better, maybe simplify some decision-making. Their offense needs to do something different. The general perception in the P5 is that tempo isn't as difficult to defend as it was five or six years ago. It feels like a novelty now, at least the way they've run it. End quote. Scathing. Um... (laughs) That's a punch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. couple things. Uh, I think that Sterling Gilbert might be able to help out DeVito for the fact that – so Gilbert was with Babers when Babers was at Eastern Illinois and they had Jimmy Garoppolo. And you saw what happened there. He turned into a guy that people really, really coveted. Very handsome um, boy. He's a very handsome boy. Maybe he can give him some, some grooming tips. I don't know. <laughs> but I do kind of take a little bit of exception – to that quote, because we saw it the year before with Dungy. Dungy wasn't an exceptional passer or, or anything like that. He was strong, but they also had a good offensive line. They were able to run the ball that year. That's the big issue is that they their offensive line last year was depleted. Their best offensive lineman, Sam Heckel, was not healthy at all. They had to move uh, because of it. They had to move their left tackle to center. And then put in oh, a fr- yeah yeah it, well it was uh it was service and service was the center of the year before but he's a more natural left tackle oh my god so they moved him to center then they started Vitarello at uh at left tackle and he was a redshirt freshman they had a, people that they were playing out of position uh, got to a point where they took out who they they'd also brought in Ryan Alexander who was a um, uh, Juke or a uh, grad transfer from from South Alabama, I think, to play right tackle, and he just did not. He was not effective. So what they ended up doing was they put in a true freshman, and Matthew Bergeron at right tackle, moved service back out to left tackle, put Vitarello back into center, and they were better at the at the end of the the season last year. If they protect the quarterback, if they protect the running backs then it's an effective offense. But if you're allowing your quarterback to get drilled 
every game, then you're not going to do well. So I, I, I don't take, I, I don't find too much stock in that, in that quote. Okay. And, and I just, and this is only because you stopped talking, so I don't have the full sample size, but I pulled up, I decided to pull up 2014 Bowling Green, 2015 Tulsa and 2016 Texas. And that was where Gilbert was the either offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator, but he was definitely the quarterback coach for each one okay. for each season. So Bowling Green, 2014, quarterback James Napke, 3,100 yards passing, 15 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. 2015, Tulsa, and, and listen, I know Tulsa and Bowling Green aren't Syracuse, but this is just kind of for... Is this J.G. Kinney? No, this is uh, Dane Evans, very Tulsa name. He had 4,300 yards passing, 25 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. So you're thinking maybe that's a little bit more back to where he was he was doing well. And then at Texas, this would be Charlie Strong's last year, I believe. And this is when Shane Bouchelle only threw for 21 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and three just short of 3,000 yards. I think he was also a freshman that year. Is that right? 2016? Yeah, he was a freshman that year. Jeez. So it's a pretty good that, freshman year. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> they were 5-7. and seven. They underperformed. But there's also this part, too. You know, Dante Foreman that year for Texas had 2,000 yards rushing. It also shows that he's not totally, like, he's willing to, I think, if, mm-hmm. if Babbers is going to allow him to really run that offense. It also shows that he's not just maybe going to be a spread, throw-it-all-the-time type of guy. I I did read another thing, too, and I think this might be where the part of the quote where they said it feels like a, a novelty now. I read that largely with their receivers that they end up recruiting, they end up being a lot of big-body receivers versus where you see a lot of schools now where they simply – they, re- they recruit a receiver on ability and then figure out based on their size where they can fit them in the scheme, if that makes sense. It, have they sure. had just a really large receiving group and that where they haven't had and, – and I, my default to go back to is ends up always being like Cole Beasley or something, but one of those for <laughs> Wes Welker. You know, like do they not – they don't have a whole lot of quick twitch guys or do they just not use them? That's entirely unfair. So – in the, the last couple of years where they've been really pretty good. So they're, they're number one receiver. Your Emba Adetawus, your Steve Ishmael's, your Jamal Custis's. Those are all big bodied guys, but the guys that they'd have underneath, uh, Sean Riley. Oh God. It was Irv Phillips. I think, I think, I think that was his name. They're tiny dudes and they played in the slot and they were like reception machines. Um, one thing they're thinking about doing this year They've got a couple guys that they've brought in that can be that kind of speed guy in the slot. They also have a running back that's he redshirted last year, played sparingly, um, Jawar Jordan, and he. They're thinking about moving him to the slot for for certain possessions, just so they can get him out there because he's incredibly quick. Yeah, just let his speed be. Def- if nothing else, just to distract. Like worst yeah. case, it's- yeah. Okay. So I think I think we've we've hammered. I, I didn't mean to to offend you, Kyle. I know. I no, you're not, no, I'm not, a, not. Not no, offended. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not offended. So just I, I have two more. Two more. <laughs> <laughs> just wrong. Oh 
we'll see against Boston College, won't we? So two more, <laughs> two more, two more coordinators that I had uh, in my in my discussion points here. Did y'all have any other any other hires in particular you wanted to point out or speak about? Kind of along the same the the Syracuse uh, lines. I mean, Tony White coming in. Uh, there was a lot of turmoil over defensive coordinator last year and then into the off season. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, bring him in. It's going to be different. I am a little bit worried about the defense because it is installing a new defense. It is the three, three, five, which is what they haven't, they haven't done that in the past. So I'm curious to see how that works, but they might have the personnel to do it. Maybe. I don't know. Their linebackers worry me a little bit, but, so I wanted to talk about one is just kind of a glancing, a glancing portion. Uh, so Bud Foster stepped down, which we all know, but it's just, it's almost eerie to think about that the defense coordinator at Virginia Tech is not Bud Foster now. Instead, it's going to be Justin Hamilton, who got promoted from within, and you probably recognize as a former Virginia Tech player. Yes. He was a receiver. He was a receiver and a safety, I believe. Moved to free safety later on, yes. Yep. So his first coordinator role, this is just kind of the funny part. He started coaching in 2011 at University of Virginia at Wise. I don't know where Wise, Virginia is, (laughs) but UVA Wise is just a wild way to start. And now he's played under Bud for, I think, a year or two before now getting the D.C. job. I, I, I hope everything he's learned that we stay, we see the same defenses. That's all. That was kind of the glancing blow is I hope it stays the same because I mean, he was there during the heyday in the early two thousands. I mean, when I was there, he was there. He was, he played everything. He started out as a receiver, moved to a tailback and then went to safety. I feel like being in that system for so long, he probably is going to want to run the same defense. Yeah, especially year one. Yeah. Right? Like, there's not going to be that much of a change, I think, year one. But I do think long-term it'll be interesting because I think he'll probably still be able to pick up the recruiting portion. And, yeah, I'm I'm here for Virginia Tech defense staying good. I'm also here for perhaps Miami offense being good. And that was with the hire of Rhett Lashley of SMU and Auburn fame. So here's here's the deal, I guess. This is you had a message for Florida State fans. I have a message for Miami fans. Rhett Lashley is really good at running an offense. He also is only as good as his quarterback will allow. Because if you take out the deep threat or you have a quarterback that cannot throw it very far, his offenses tend to burn out very quickly. How do we feel about the quarterback that's there? So, that's that's what my next point was going to be. I feel like for as much as I've seen Lashley call plays that I would have a better opinion on this, I have no idea what to expect with Derek King. Because he's got, he's kind of got it all. Like, he's got a strong arm. He's also got incredible legs. And Lashley really allowed Bouchelle to throw, but he also had a stable of running backs that kept heat off of him. And when he was at Auburn, he was cool with quarterbacks running it. So like, it's, it's a really, it's, you go from, you learn the spread 
if you're at Lashley, you're learning parts of the spread from Gus Malzahn and Sonny Dykes, two opposite ends of the spread spectrum. Is Derek King only going to be there for a year? I wonder. Yeah, he's a son. Okay. He's only- That's a shame because I would like to see what Lashley and King could do with two full years. Because having an offense tailored behind King is going to be exciting just by default, but having a mind like Lashley is going to be, could be like absolutely deadly for defenses to try to stop. I feel like there's going to be stupid expectations this year with King coming in. Had they had, they had, had nothing, had we not had a pandemic, I think it probably would have been rightfully so. And I think they also probably would have fulfilled a lot of those expectations. If I had to guess, like Lashley turned around SMU's offense on a dime when he got there and started taking play calls. And King is, is a talent that kind of speaks for himself. The, their biggest problem is that, like, no matter what, you still got to, the road goes through Clemson. So, so I don't know, the expectations for a national title or a playoff would have been unrealistic. But I, think, I don't think they even win their division. Interesting. We will get to that to the end of the show, but uh, very, very interesting. All right, that's all. That's all I've got for for coaches. If you guys are ready to move on to maybe some player spotlights, yeah, let's look at some players. All right, let's. We're gonna start. We're gonna start with Clemson. Oh, and the reason is is because Lame. we'll speak about Clemson later when we're going through the championship picks. <laughs> so, so I want to get them out of the way now, so we can focus on the rest of the teams. Jeff or Kyle, who do you have at Clemson that you maybe think we should keep an eye on, or that that is a name to look out for. I think it's kind of a prove yourself year for Justin Ross. No T Higgins. Ross is out. He's out. So interesting. You'd say that. <laughs> yeah, when did this happen? Okay. This happened uh, just a month ago. Maybe, maybe less. Oh God. I wasn't even paying it? attention. Okay. So <laughs> th- th- you know what? Let me, let me not correct you, but work your point into mine here. So what I have written here, so Higgins is gone, right? This was supposed to be Justin Ross's prove-it year, but he's missing the season due to spinal issues. So for me, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, those are obvious picks, right? Mm-hmm. Who is going to step up at receiver now with no Higgins and no Ross? Because those are two really significant losses, even when you have an Etienne in your backfield. And one of the players I had was a former blue chipper, a wide receiver named Frank Ladson Jr., who is supposed to be one of like the top five fastest people on Clemson's team. And because of ETN getting all the attention, and I think he'll still rip off yards after yards after yards, having a deep threat like Ladson and a quarterback like Lawrence throwing to him means they'll probably not end up missing Hickens and Ross that much, at least in the regular season. I mean, they just reload. I, there, somebody will step up. But, yeah, that's a, that's a big loss not having Ross out there. Just for, yeah, sorry to be the one for, to, bear, to break the news. No, no. I, I mean, I'm. it doesn't hurt my feelings either way. It's fine. <laughs> but I, I, I wish him the best. But it's not going to hurt my feelings when Syracuse plays them. Kyle's mouth just started watering because it means Syracuse <laughs> has a higher chance of beating them now. No, Syracuse has no chance of beating them this year. <laughs> Anybody from you, Jeff? No, you covered the the guys I was going to hit. They do have at least two five stars, depending on which sites you read, <laughs> waiting behind Ross and Higgins. So, I, I, like you said, I think they're going to be okay. But 
it is going to be interesting to see, you know, how that unit gels and performs down the stretch. Yeah, because I think offensively, they're replacing a lot in their offensive line too, and that's going to be probably a reload situation. I feel like they're more seamless with with both defensive line and offensive line on reloading the receiver part. It's going to be interesting because I think they also, part of that, the depth is affected because when Scott Elliott transferred, I think he took a Clemson receiver with him too. So, so like, and that was before the Ross news, obviously, but that, that may end up being what kind of bites them. Kyle, give us a Syracuse player, players, and or side of the ball. There's a couple people that I think are going to have a huge impact on this year. One is probably going to be the the running back tandem of Abdul Adams and uh, Jarvian Howard. If they want to get back to what they did in 2018, they really need to get back to running the ball effectively. And that's what kind of hurt them at the starting of the year last year, was that they were trying to run the ball. And it was not working, and that's largely due to their offensive line, but they just weren't getting the same production that they were getting the year before. And they've got a guy in Abdul Adams who was part of that stable last year with Moniel that really didn't make much of an of an impact on the on the game when he really everybody thought he would. He was a four star kid. He transferred in from Oklahoma. I'm looking for him to be the bell cow of the uh, of the running backs this year. And also, uh, Jarvian Howard, he's just a, he's just a hard runner. <laughs> he's, he's just a beast. When, when you look at the receiving core, it kind of looks like it's going to be Taj Harris and a bunch of other guys. You're going to need somebody to step up. Um, it'd be nice if it was Nikeem Johnson. I don't know if it will be, but they have a guy named Ed Hendricks who's been hurt his last couple, his first couple of years there. Um, he's a four-star receiver that came in. And he's a redshirt sophomore. Big guy, 6'4". He could be a factor on the outside if he's healthy. I also really like the tight end. uh, He's a senior, Aaron Hackett. This is a guy who had like six touchdowns last year on very few receptions. He's a factor in the red zone. The guy you got to look out for. Uh, Defensively, everybody talks about Andre Sisco. He's a badass. There's no way around it. Um, I really do like um, Melifanwu, the the cornerback. Um, everything I've seen from him has been pretty impressive. I don't like the depth at cornerback that they have. They've got Trill Williams and Melifanwu, and then a bunch of guys that I don't know. A bunch of freshmen, a bunch of redshirt freshmen. And then uh, the linebackers that I really want to look at, there are two four-star kids that came in from last year, uh, Mikel Jones and Leek Pogba. Jones had a pretty good impact on the on the season last year. I'd like to see how they work in Kapagba in the um with the uh with the new defense that they're instil- installing, but defense is a little bit of an unknown. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they use Andre Cisco as sort of a rover safety too with that many defensive backs. There's been talk about that. Well, they 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 don't have much depth. They, they, well, at, at, at corner, say at safety, I feel like there's a little bit more depth. They've got a guy, uh, Cornelius Nunn. He was brought in last year. He redshirted. He's behind Cisco. I could see them moving Cisco to like that that third corner, that Nick, that nickel Rover almost. But they could also move Eric Colley to that Rover and bring Cam Jonas in. 
Trill Williams used to do the the kind of roving defensive back, but he's not going to be doing that. He's going to be a top flight defensive back this year. So the next team I kind of wanted to talk through, because I think we had talked a lot about a lot about them before and being excited for their new coach. And that's Louisville. Obviously for a long time, I think everybody hated Louisville because of their bicycle riding hooker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, Mr. Petrino. Anyways. <laughs> the retread that did, that did stuff bad both times. Yeah. There was a very heavy conflict when you loved Lamar Jackson, but he was still playing for <laughs> and Petrino. Look over at Petrino and the sideline scowling. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Satterfield did a really nice job last year. They got eight wins. I'm really excited. The player I kind of wanted to highlight was their running back, Javian Hawkins. He ended up finishing with over 1,500 yards last year as a redshirt freshman. Um, you know, year two in the system, I think he'll be even better. And kind of depending on their schedule, they have a shot to be really good this year. So so he was also on my list, Javian Hawkins. And when I looked up, what they were returning, I was afraid that Louisville was going to end up being like maybe maybe Satterfield just like caught them on the old age swing and was going to have to reset. But yeah, they're returning Javian Hawkins, quarterback Mikhail Cunningham, another running back Hassan Hall, their receivers, the receiver, yeah, the receivers Atwell, Des Fitzpatrick, Marshawn Ford, and they're bringing in Braden Smith, who's a Northwest Mississippi Community College transfer that's supposed to be really 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 good too their defense is still the question mark for me but that offense is uh, i'm not sure there's going to be one that's more explosive in the acc this year they they're going to be a lot of fun to watch if 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 coronavirus robs me of seeing that louisville team i will be upset because that is the offense i think i'd be most excited to watch this year building off of that i'm going to do a quick stop at wake forest so no more Jamie Newman. They're going to have Sam Hartman probably be the quarterback. I'm He's not thrilled there. Coming back. Wasn't he a starter before? Newman? Yeah. Or uh, Hartman. Wasn't he before Newman? Yes. So Sam Hartman Sam Hartman was a quarterback in 2018. Oh, wow. And then he broke his leg in the ninth game of that year. And then it, they never looked back from Newman. The bonus, the thing I like about Hartman is he's not as good of a runner as Jamie Newman. So maybe that means we'll stop seeing them do that fucking read option play where they're on the center's ass. The thing that just, it drives me. It, it is like, it is like, like some people like Kyle's afraid of heights. I'm afraid of seeing that play type because my blood pressure just shoots through the roof. I'm excited about Sage Surratt being back. That's really who I wanted to point out with Wake Forest. Sage Surratt, was leading the country in receiving yards when he got hurt last year. He is an NFL pick. I hope he can stay healthy. Him, running back Kenneth Walker III, all, both of those should be a lot of fun next year, even with potential quarterback changes and system changes with no Jamie Newman. All right. I'm going to move to uh, North Carolina. We all know about Sam Howell. They've got some good receivers. And I'm a huge fan of Daz Newsom. Daz Newsom is a beast. He's coming back after 72 catches, 1,023 yards, and 10 scores last year. And, and they got Brown. Yami Brown. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be a fun team. I don't like saying that, but North Carolina is going to be a fun team. And not to mention, we've got Sage Sherratt's brother on that team. 
Oh. A linebacker, Chaz, who is also one of their best defensive players, which is weird because he yeah. was a quarterback a couple of years ago. Yeah, the the transition. Like I feel like we always you always see quarterbacks if they get transitioned to defense. Syracuse did it recently, right? Not too recently, but within the last like five or ten years. That's a long time. But it had a quarterback move to safety or like a ah like a, yeah Josh second. Fields. It was Fields. Joe Fields. Joe Fields. So like I feel like that's more common, but when you see a move to linebacker, it man, it feels weird. Like talk about like going from all sorts of protection to cracking heads. Well, and then also be a first team all ACC player. 115 tackles, 15 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks last year. You might even say he's uh he's the quarterback of the defense out there. Uh. <laughs> yeah, one other I I was I was gonna cover this guy, but now that Kyle's talking about North Carolina, there's actually a, a five-star cornerback from Virginia who is reclassifying from 2021 to this class. I didn't know that's possible, but his name's Tony Grimes, and he could be a really interesting player because they need they lost a lot of close games last year, and getting a five-star corner, I mean, they're not automatic, but that's when you can get a, a kid like that on your defense, that, that'll really help them if he can get in and play. And that was their weakest area, was defending the pass. You said his name is Tony Grimes? Yep. So we might have a cornerback. Hold on. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and look at this real quick. So we might have a Tony Grimes and a Storm Duck lighting on both sides of the field (laughs) for cornerback. That is truly truly an all-time pairing of cornerbacks. Isn't there there a defensive backs coach, former NFLer Dre Bly? Yes. Oh, God. Dre Bly. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I got feels towards Dre Bly. All right. Well, you also have feels for Pittsburgh, so let's go to Pittsburgh here. I wanted to point out just mostly their defense. That's that's the only way that I think Pittsburgh has a path to success this year if they really want to win the Coastal. They're going to have safety Paris Ford, defensive end Patrick Jones a second, defensive tackle Jalen Twyman. All of them are really, really good. They've also got two projected starters from last year that they lost to injury either before the season started or within the first game. And that's defensive end Rashad Weaver, defensive tackle Keyshawn Camp. The front seven, and with the safety Paris four behind them, ought to be a real pain in the ass for pretty much every ACC offensive line. I hate it. And their, their defense was... Like SP plus wise, how was it last year? Was it good or? Yeah, so SP plus last year they ranked twelfth. Oh wow! And quietly, I feel like, and I, and and, and is that a product of a bad ACC? That's okay. Yeah. I was gonna get there. That's what, that was, <laughs> that was gonna be my next point because I was actually. <laughs> God, it's so great you brought that up because I was gonna bring up when if someone was gonna talk about Trevor Lawrence if they're gonna dig in. That on the Atlantic side, there's not a single team other than Clemson that ranked better than 60th on defensive SP+. Oh and God. is that a product of playing Clemson? Maybe a little bit, but also like maybe they're just really, really bad. So maybe <laughs> You only play like... Clemson once. Okay. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they do enough damage to their stats after playing one game. <laughs> yeah, so comparatively, let's, let's, let's kind of let's play that out. So Pittsburgh had the 12th ranked defense by SP+. 
So the offenses they faced definitely last year. They ranked 47th, 54th, 110th, 25th, 81st, 113th, 118th. Oof. So yeah, maybe there's something to maybe <laughs> maybe there's something to that. That's that's not ideal, but I, I also don't think that we'd be surprised if if they had a, a strong defense again. And maybe that's all you need is one year like that beating up on the the blind kids, and now you've got a reputation, so people go in scared against you too. No, I, and I, I'm not going to discount their defense. I think that their defense is probably pretty good, but I, I think it's inflated by shit offenses in the ACC. It's deflated. That's what makes like the different comps. I mean, I think that's not to dive into SEC talk fully, but what made LSU so special, they were doing stuff that Big 12 teams have done all along, but they were doing it against you know, uh, Paul Feinbaum voice, like SEC defenses. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it seemed even more impressive. Jeff, you want to go with the next player? The other, other guy I wanted to talk about was, I guess I'll stick with North Carolina. Kyle talked about all the skill talent they have. Um, Sam Howell had a really great year as a freshman. Uh, do you guys think he could be a, a Heisman dark horse this year? I've seen that kind of bandied about online. I'm curious. Curious as your thoughts. This is a weird year. It might be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> depending on what he does against these defenses in the ACC. It's going to take a really, really impressive year. He's got the guys around him to do it, but it's going to take a really impressive year for him to do that. He definitely has a chance. And I don't even know if it's going to be a dark horse because while we know about Daz Newsom and Deami Brown, and Michael Carter, and, like, the offensive playmakers, if you were only listening to, like, the worldwide leader, you heard about Sam Howell, and it was almost full stop him, right? It was it was, it was, was about his thing. So, so I think, I don't think he's inflated. I think he's extremely talented. But I think he's got a lot of talent surrounding him, which is making this job that much easier. So... For that reason, I think their successes are going to fall at in under his name, and I think they're probably going to have a lot of successes this year because that offense is going to be once again really fun and explosive. I got a duo I want to talk about. Miami. On one side, you got a guy coming off a redshirt freshman year, Gregory Rousseau. Monster had a year. I mean, nineteen point five tackles for loss. 15 and a half sacks, ACC Rookie of the Year. They're also bringing in Quincy Roach from uh, from Temple to play on the other side. God, I had this. I'm so upset you took this from me. <laughs> <laughs> you go. Enjoy. No, I mean, wait, you said it. Like, Rousseau is an absolute baller. And Roach, for anyone that's not familiar, was third last year in the nation in sacks with 13. And in that defense. Whew, <laughs> yeah, so. Or at least, at least against pat against the pass, like that is going to be it's dangerous. That is, man. That is <laughs> there. There might not be a better pair of defensive ends. I had some players, or just I guess sides of the ball that for Duke and Georgia Tech to knock out. And if you have anybody from these teams, please let me know. So last year, Duke had a ten-year high with thirty-five sacks this season. Two of the players that led their team, Chris Rumpf and Victor DeMacchese, both return. And largely their defense and their defensive line is something I think 
if you're going to watch Duke football, that's what you need to focus on probably out of all of it. Maybe, maybe, uh, the Clemson quarterback that transferred there that I'm having a stroke and forget. Chase Rice. Chase Rice is a is a country singer. Even worse. <laughs> Georgia Tech God. Georgia Tech is gonna be bad again. But they did have a bright spot in Jordan Mason, their running back. He had nine hundred yards, seven touchdowns behind what was a pretty abysmal offensive line. It had I think they had the smallest offensive line in power five. Because they were, you know, they were recruited there to run the Because they were trying to be Navy. Yeah. Well, they're aver- they're, it was, I think, I think I read, and this is going to be ballpark, but their average height was 6'1", and their average weight was like 240 or 250. Yeah, it was, it was oh, low. Whatever. What like I would was, give to be 6'1". And for them, they're just, and they're the U of their offensive line. So, yeah, I think, I think it's Jordan Moison's going to be a player to watch there. How do we feel about... No Bryce Perkins at Virginia. I don't know what to expect with them. I think they're going to struggle. You you got you got to think right. They're not going to have a plug and play quarterback. They have a quarterback named Brennan Armstrong that is not Bryce not Perkins Bryce in Perkins. terms of yeah cannot run like him. But they did get transfer Keaton Thompson from Mississippi State who can Keaton. run like Bryce Perkins. So just a little clip of what I wrote here, a little behind the scenes. I think what's going to end up happening is they're going to do a Power Rangers style assembly quarterback duo back there, which if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. So there's going to be a lot of hand motions going on and, yeah, and, uh, and lip syncing. Oh yeah, it's, <laughs> they're both going to be pointing at the screen. Their enemies are going to allow them a minute and a half to assemble without attacking at all like in Power <laughs> Rangers. Does one of them bring a sword flute out with them so they can be the Green Ranger? You know, they also... (laughs) I'm sorry for ignoring that joke and then catching at the end. They are actually... There was one player that I wanted to talk about, and I cannot remember his name, but he just transferred to Virginia, and he was a tight end for Central Michigan. Ah, what's his name? I'm looking at my old notes and I can't find them. God, they do have a linebacker with the best name ever, though. Virginia does? Yes. Let us have it. Zane Zandier? Zane Zandier. <laughs> <laughs> it might be Zane Zandier. I don't know, but... Zane Zandier. Tony Polian? Pogian? Yes. Polsian, I think. Pulsion. I don't know if that's right. Pro, as in... And he goes pro. It's pro It's pro-Polsian. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Or is that when he like really like he catches one in the seam? He's just like just just destroying it down the field. Yeah. Is that propulsion? <laughs> I, I, uh, oh, I um, man, I uh, I have <laughs> I can't pull it together. I have a Florida State. The only Florida State point I have really is no one matters as much as that offensive line does. <laughs> That's really that we kind of alluded to when we talked coaching. And then I wanted to talk about Virginia Tech just briefly. So they returned quarterback Hendon Hooker. They're adding Kansas's Khalil Herbert to the backfield. They're adding Marco Lee, a Juco transfer, to the backfield. They're also returning three of their top four receivers from last year. And they're bringing in Rutgers transfer wide receiver Raheem Blackshear. Ooh. We know what should happen. 
they should have a really great offense. We also know what Virginia Tech usually does when that's the case, and that's not have an explosive or good offense. I'm hoping that can change. <laughs> I, I'm ready for I'm ready for Virginia Tech to to have something fun again. And Hinton Hooker is a really really fun quarterback to watch. God, they've been so tough to watch the last like yeah, ten years. It feels. Since Marcus Vick, probably offensively, they've been just a sort of mixed bag. And you don't like Sean Glennon. I was going to say Sean Glennon. Oh, I, I, I was. I just. Or, what about Tyra Taylor? Because Sean. That was about ten years ago. That was. <laughs> right, we're yeah. getting old, man. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, but Sean Glennon now. was earlier. Sean Glennon was way way before that. Uh, <laughs> so okay, was Marcus well, Vick. <laughs> well, no, they had. Didn't they have a? They had a – I'm going to look it up because they had a transfer from Texas Tech as their quarterback for a little bit. Like two now, or three years ago, right? Maybe. God, uh, Michael Brewer. It was Michael Brewer. Okay. Uh, he was yeah. going to beat Ohio State, wasn't he? I think. Would that have been – what year would that have been? That 2016 Three maybe? or four years ago now. God. Might have been Gerard Evans. Gerard Evans wasn't awfully. But I mean, that's the thing. Like, I feel like whenever we look at, if you look at Virginia Tech's history offensively, you see players that you're like, hey, he wasn't so bad. Gerard yeah. Evans was fun. One of their best Gerard quarterbacks Evans. is a tight end uh, in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. uh, Logan Evans. Is that his name? Logan oh Evans, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a third yeah. string tight end. Or Logan Thomas. I Logan, think Thomas. It's Logan Thomas. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's just. <laughs> yeah, it's just a. Uh, it's it's um that's brutal. It's it's almost like well yeah. Or do we have revision? Do we have revisionist history then? Like looking back at them, we probably think they better. We're they're better than they were actually were. <laughs> yeah, or, or it might have been a case of we expected the worst because they're usually the worst. So when they were incrementally better, we're like, man, Logan Thomas had them kind of headed in the right direction. When in all reality, it's like a snail going up the side of a wall. Like it's going to get there, I guess, but like, it's going to take a really long time to get there. <laughs> so any progress looks like progress. God, Virginia tech is brutal. It's like Frank Beamer made a deal with the devil and, and the devil said, listen, your program, you're going to go to 26 straight bowls. You're going to have great success, but, but you're going to have really, you're really never going to have an offense. And the best offensive player you're ever going to have is going to get in the dog fighting. <laughs> like issue, it's just like it's like it was like the kiss of death. He, tra- he traded offensive production for uh for special teams touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. Yeah, we're, we're gonna guarantee it's. Yeah, it was the monkey's paw wish. He gave. He asked. He wished for at least six special teams touchdowns a season, and they're like, okay, and they just deducted that from the offense, like the, without him even realizing it. Okay. <laughs> Are we done with players now that we've gone and buried Virginia Tech's offense for the last 20 years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, wanted to make them sound real good and then realize that they weren't. So, yeah, well, yeah let's let's so, go on. So so I hope they are good. As that's yeah. So their offense is an offense to look out for for maybe just so, any kind of improvement. So please. I can at least trust my mind in thinking that Virginia Tech might have a fun offense. Yeah, they were 54th last year, and they still felt like they didn't have that great of an offense. So if they can get – up there somewhere, please. Key games. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're kind of assuming they're only going to do an ACC schedule, so it's going to kind of limit us here because 
there were some fun out-of-conference games scheduled, like Wake Forest losing to App State. <laughs> like, uh, like the return medical bed game, Liberty versus Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the dome. I can't believe we missed that. Do they have suites at the dome where he could have been sat up there? Uh, they got, they got <laughs> way at the top. They got, they got suites. Uh, yeah, they could put them in there. They could put them up with Urban Meyer in his cage. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's, it's like mid level. They're, they're mid level. They, he could, he'd have a better view than what he had at that damn Liberty Liberty Stadium. <laughs> the damn you'll, you'll notice you'll notice there's no guest for this ACC preview and 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 for that reason alone we never would have gotten to you freeze being next to Urban Meyer in a cage above the dome which is also I think why we we do well without guests as well so I'm, I'm glad, let's 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 get to the games I'm gonna just lead off one it's a no brainer Virginia at Virginia Tech. 15-game losing streak snapped last year. I imagine Virginia Tech's going to make them pay for that dearly unless someone ends up coming up and replacing Bryce Perkins in full. Not going to happen. You don't think there's any way that Virginia wins? No, I think that Virginia Tech's going to take them. I, I really expect a a serious regression for Virginia this year. Like a serious that's a safe one. expectation. Like, we, we talked on our Big 12 preview about losing Jalen Hurts. But when your program that is top five in offense every single year, it hurts less. Yeah. It Jalen hurts less. <laughs> so, sure. I mean, he was, gener- he was a generational talent at quarterback since the likes of Matt Schaub at UVA. Oh, Matt Schaub. <laughs> Still in the NFL also. I'm going to stick with Syracuse just because it is the first game of the season and it's at BC. Those are two kind of lower tier ACC teams and, or at least it's what everybody thinks. And I think that that game will go a little bit into telling us what each team is going to look like, especially if we're only going to play ACC games and it's a rivalry and I hate BC. How big of a rivalry? Would you grade it below West Virginia and Pitt? I'd say it's on par with Pitt to me. West Virginia, I mean, there, there's a lot of history there. I mean, you're going back to the 50s with that one. So maybe for your dad, he hates West Virginia more. Um, honestly, if you're talking about the, the the teams that I hated when I was a kid growing up loving Syracuse, it was Miami and Virginia Tech. I couldn't care less about about BC. They were shit. I couldn't care less about Pitt. They were shit, too. Jeff? So you guys know I love sequences. Um, <laughs> okay. Of, <laughs> of, 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 of every type? I just had a stroke. I'm sorry. Um, instead of, <laughs> instead of uh, just one game, North Carolina's season is really going to kind of depend. It's going to be basically the first half of their schedule. They... They start off with Georgia Tech, who they're going to pound, but then they have Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Duke in a row. Then um, Miami. Yeah, and then Miami. So, I mean, that's that's their first five. So, you know, after that GT game, going to Virginia and then having Virginia Tech come back the next week is really going to be – I think it's going to, you know, it's going to prove out whether they can win their division or not. So, I'm really excited for that. And that's early. Yeah. 
I think yeah, it'll early. be for for Virginia Tech. Their second game will be yeah at UNC after Georgia Tech. God, we're we're missing a Penn State Virginia Tech game this year. That sucks. How sad. We're also missing an Auburn UNC game. Yeah, there's oh god, that also would have been good. Yeah, Virginia Tech's interesting. They they miss Clemson this year too. So I think there's that helps them because when you have your toughest stretch is Louisville, Pitt, and Miami. And that three run that three game run is bookended by Duke and Boston College, so I think you'll be just fine. Virginia Tech really any other games. Virginia Tech and North Carolina I think is probably gonna be the most fun game they have this year. Switching to the the other side of it, Florida State at Louisville could be really, really fun because I think Louisville probably probably steamrolls them, but it's also kind of cool to see Satterfield versus Norvell both coming from the G five and and playing each other this quickly in their in their I guess lifespan in the the P five as a head coach again. I got one because. This would technically fall under the ACC banner if they went to just ACC games. That's November 7th, Clemson at Notre Dame. Ooh. Oh, yes. The odd out-of-conference, in-conference game. Yes. They get a week off beforehand. Mm-hmm. After that grueling game against Syracuse. <laughs> Hey, never you know. Joke, could... You joke that Syracuse doesn't have a chance, but they've been their like their bogey team. They I beat feel Clemson like. a few years ago, the, didn't they? Yeah, the day before my wedding, and then the week at, the year after that, they uh, they took them to the like to the brink at Clemson. So I, I mean, this is at Clemson. The starting quarterback went down, right? I believe both times. They <laughs> yes, we yes we definitely <laughs> did take out Trevor Trevor Lawrence in that game, and that's when. <laughs> Duke so bro Chase came Price in. Made his name. Yeah, Chase Price made his name. And I was making the jokes that they were trying to call up uh, Kelly Bryant, say, trying to get him to come back to campus like <laughs> that day because like he had just left. He had just announced that he was going to go to Missouri. Yeah, like two days beforehand. No, he just let, said that he was going to transfer in like the two days beforehand. He had just left the, the team. <laughs> so I was like, oh, they're, they're trying to get him to like, – come on, man. I know you're still at your dorm. Just – just come on. There's no way you packed up, dude. Just help, <laughs> yeah. please. But yeah, Clemson, Notre Dame, that that could be fun. And Jeff, do you have any more? My last game, and this is always fun to watch, even if the teams are terrible, is Florida State and Miami, <clears throat> November 7th. I don't know what, what either team's going to look like or what their season's going to be like, but it's just it's always fun to watch them trash each other and make stupid penalties and just it's it's a blast so looking forward to that one especially if both offenses take off and and similar to the louisville florida state i think this is going to be the chance that louisville and miami both have to really drive the nail into florida state before florida state starts turning it around and makes it really difficult for them so it could be interesting just if if these games are played and miami gets a chance to play florida state if Miami just beats the hell out of them, just how unwilling they might be to let off the gas. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so let's get down to brass tacks. Who do we think is going to win the Atlantic Division? Surprise me, Kyle. 
He's got it's Clemson. It's Clemson. Come on. It's got to be Clemson. I would love it if Louisville came. No, I actually wouldn't love it if Louisville did it. But <laughs> there's actually no team in that division that I would like to, to actually see win it other than Syracuse. So, but it would be it would be nice to it would be nice to see somebody else beat Clemson, but it's not going to happen. Clemson's going to win that division. Jeff? I'll take Clemson's backups to win the division. <laughs> uh, you know, I almost I almost thought about being slick and trying to project out that this thing is going to cause ETN and Lawrence to just declare early and they had all this left with backups, but I still think... Their backups would be fine. <laughs> yeah, but I think Louisville might be able to snake them, sneak up on them, but I- I'm going to go Clemson as well. The interesting, I hope we have all different answers here. We might not. I'm going to start with the Coastal Champion, and then we'll go Kyle, and then we'll go Jeff. This year's Coastal Champion, I believe, is going to be Virginia Tech. This is after we've just this is after we just uh, demolished their offensive system over the last two decades. But yeah, I'm going to go with Virginia Tech to win the Coastal. Kyle, I am going to go North Carolina. I think that offense is is incredibly powerful, um, and I think that's going to be the difference. Um, I I feel weird picking them, but Daz Newsome and Sam Howell have me being believers. I think that they're going to win this win the coastal. It's going to be tight. It's going to be tight again, but I think that they're going to win it. You've left me no choice. The dark horse pick since we've beaten them down. With no quarterback this year, Virginia is going to win it again. Oh, no. Oh. It's, it's the darkest What have you hour. done? It's the darkest time. <laughs> it was that cup of vodka before the podcast. Oh, cup of vodka. Cup of, <laughs> cup of vodka for the, for the working man. Are we all picking Clemson to win the ACC? Sadly, Absolutely. yes. I am picking Virginia Tech, actually, so uh, Swerve, I think Virginia Tech does it. Okay, Vince Russo. Any parting thoughts in the ACC before we wrap this up? I don't know what's going to make me cry more. No football or Syracuse being at the bottom of the league. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure which one would make me cry more. If if they don't play football, they will stay undefeated at least this year. True. There's always there's always successful season. Linings. Successful season. <laughs> Not under five hundred. Ball eligible, just like everybody else, baby. <laughs> my my parting thought is, and I think we talked about this in the last episode. You know, there won't be as much coaching movement. Does Dave Doran survive another year of going four and eight, or not four and eight, but you know, something similar? The equivalent of four and eight. <laughs> it's a great question because I think you had. So I think he misses he misses boat right when Tennessee I think was calling for him a few years ago, and he stayed. I am curious how both he and Dino Babers, honestly, not in the immediate hot seat, but that they've both now seemingly hit their best year. And so they're in a little bit of a rebuilding mode or retooling or whatever it is behind Eric Dungey for Syracuse and Ryan Finley for North Carolina State. 
So how does it look if they get the third and fourth year post peak if there's going to be an improvement? Because I think you could you could say with with Dave, okay, well, that was two really, really awful years once we lost Drinkwitz running our offense. But, hey, every three to four years, we have a really great class and can get to nearly or at 10 wins, which, let's get real, that's NC State's. That's where, that's where their home is at the max, I think. And I think Kyle would probably – Kyle, I'm speaking for you, so correct me if I'm wrong. But if all Dino Babers did was – be bowl eligible three out of every four years, and one of those years have nine or ten wins, you'd be pretty happy for a Syracuse program that's doing that, right? I think I'd be happy in the immediate future um, because of what we've gone through for the last decade and a half. I mean, the Marone years were pretty good, but they're okay. I think that if you did have sustained a sustained period of time of going three out of four years being bowl eligible, having a great year in there every couple of years where you win nine games, win 10 games like we did, did a couple of years ago um, that these fan base and probably myself would start to get greedy and be like, well, why can't we do this all the time? I think that right now Babers is safe uh, just because I think he's built up enough equity with the with the with the with the university after going ten and three a couple of years ago and showing improvement, and they didn't drop down to four and eight. Yeah, they went five and seven last year, but they did lose quite a bit. So I think a lot of it is going to be based on what happens in the next two years. If he consistently goes five and seven, he's probably we're probably going to be moving on. If they get to that six and six, seven and seven and five, eight and four range, he's safe. Thank you guys for listening to our ACC 2020 preview. Next week we'll be back with the SEC preview. That'll be our last conference preview heading into this maybe season. Follow us at RunPodOption on Twitter, RunPodOption at gmail.com. If you've made it this far, and you have an iPhone or you have an Apple account, throw us five stars. It helps us out. We've actually done really well on the charts lately, uh, which I haven't told you guys yet. So surprise. But, oh, but we've that's had fun. A few, we've had a few more subscriptions. We've had some more five-star reviews. So we're doing pretty good right now. We've got a perfect record at that five stars. So I'd like to keep it. Do all you can to help. Thank you Undefeated. guys for listening. Undefeated. Jeff and Kyle, say goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.